What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down a professional wrestling, come right here to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> Well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. concentrating on Whippleman, that's going to be the mistake he's going to make. He's going back up again, Bobby. Four times in a row. He's going to go back up again. They, oh, oh. they tried to cross body, and he got planted. Oh. He got planted, yeah, he, and it's over. He got splattered and planted. Mr. Hughes. Hughes caught Marty Jannetty in midair, and he turned it into a power slam. Poke it up so nice, sweetheart. Make sure it looks small. He's got the urn. Undertaker, take over. You won't miss. You come and get it. Exactly. Well, what a hard-fought victory. You got to hand it to Marty Jannetty. What a courageous effort for him, Brain. Look at this off the top. Catches it on a power slam and drives that 360, 70 pounds right into the mat. Take a look, Undertaker. Fans will have a SummerSlam report right after you. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today. And powered by the icons of wrestling and comic book collector fest part two this coming Saturday, September 17th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the 2300 arena. So many superstars of professional wrestling will be in the building, including guests of the two man power trip, the one and only Raven, just incredible and the voice of ECW Joey Styles. That's this coming Saturday, September 17th at the 2300 arena. You can visit the Facebook page of icons of wrestling as well as visit the two man power. Power Trip of Wrestling Facebook page for more information and more to come from the guests of the Icons of Wrestling in the coming weeks and really looking forward to what will come of that. 
And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime, John Paz. And John, today on the show, we get back to a little bit of the regular two-man power trip of wrestling pace as we welcome in a guy who is very identifiable to wrestling fans for one thing, and that is the signature hat and the signature sunglasses. And to the old school fan, you will always remember Mr. Curtis Hughes for his imposing look, for the suspenders and the dress pants and the dress shirt, and him being a man of very few words and a lot of action. And, of course, we are joined by Mr. Curtis Hughes today on the show. And, John, it was somebody who you and I, I think we were both very excited to get this interview up and going, and especially with all of the ties that Curtis Hughes has to the WWE main roster as we speak. It was definitely more of a topical interview than I ever expected, but Mr. Hughes, definitely one of those guys back in the mid-90s and the early 90s that when you saw Mr. Hughes hitting the scene in WCW, or if he jumped to the WWF, or he jumped back to WCW, or even his time in ECW, he always made an impact, and you knew that Curtis Hughes was going to be involved in one of the top storylines at the time because, hey, he had the look, he had the size, and he definitely fit in well with what was going on there in the mid-90s in both promotions. But, John, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what we have to look forward to with this interview with Mr. Hughes and especially the tie that he has to the WWE main roster right now in 2016. Yes, Chad, back here again for another amazing episode at the two-man power trip of wrestling and today is quite a unique guest and quite a rare guest and that is curtis hughes aka mr hughes chad thinking about when we originally booked this interview and what we kind of thought we were going to get is completely different than what we got and it was a pleasant surprise and just an awesome interview with just an amazing man and just an amazing guy you think back when we originally got him we're like man just going by his gimmick and just going by kind of just what he looks like and the way he talked in the WWF or WW or wherever you just really didn't know for sure what you were going to get out of this interview but it was awesome he gave us so much stuff so many great answers he was one of those guys he's almost like the perfect guest we just give him one little topic and boom he goes off and tells you a great story about that specific topic think about this Think about all the guys that he's trained. I mean, we're talking about all the students. We talk about where they are now, where they were when they started, and kind of the progress they made. And you think about the guys that he has. You think about a guy like Moose. You think about a guy like Heath Slater, who's basically doing an awesome job on SmackDown. He gets like a lot of great stuff on him. Then even Apollo Crews, who he also trained. So, I mean, there's these guys that he trained and became really, really big big time WWE stars and his stories about each guy is great and what each guy kind of meant to him at the time what they mean to him now so just an amazing amazing stuff that we got out of Mr. Hughes about his former trainees but you can't discount Mr. Hughes and the time that he spent inside of a promotion like WCW and inside of a promotion like the WWF. And like I said at the, at the start of all this is that he was a guy that whenever he hit the scene, he was going to make an impact. And even though we just kind of covered what he's doing with his trainees and what they've gone on to do, it's not one to discount. And he did have a great career. But, John, when you think about his career and Mr. Hughes and what he did – 
You know, he always made an impact wherever he was and definitely uh, was always catapulted into some of the top spots on the card in both WCW and the WWF. Yes, Chad. I mean, of course, you can't talk to Mr. Hughes without talking about his illustrious career. I mean, obviously, we did talk about a lot of the amazing guys that he helped train and bring up to the business. You know, we mentioned Moose, Heath Slater, Apollo Crews and stuff. But, of course, we like to go all back and go through his career and kind of where he started going all the way up to the end of his career. And even, of course, going into what he's doing now as a trainer, but as at a completely different school. But he wait to the end of the interview hear all the plugs and what he's doing now exactly where he's at right now in the business and where he's training guys at now but think about his career go through his career highlights i love talking wcw i mean we talked a lot about sting we talked about him being a manager for or excuse me a bodyguard and while harley race was his manager for the total package lex luger talking about him teaming with vader talked about the steiner brothers each topic that we brought up to him he just had an awesome answer for each you know each little category if you will he had a great story for it so it's just good stuff there and then of course we go into the wwf where he had a nice little run there obviously the first run he had three different runs there he was in 99 with jericho he was in 97 with triple h very short runs but impactful meaningful roles that you remember but of course his big time role in 1993 we talk about Kurt Henning Mr. Perfect we talk about of course his mini undefeated streak that he had and his feud with The Undertaker and anytime you feud with The Undertaker anytime you steal the urn and you're using the urn and you're having a meaningful you know grudge match with Undertaker that really really shows you that they're giving you a little bit of push and that they really like you so that was awesome stuff the reason he left WWF is an awesome story that I've never heard before that was some good stuff right there and then of course we go into his whole other career and one of the most interesting parts was we we're talking about ECW and how he basically was a forgotten ECW originally think back and you really look at it, you're like wow Mr. Hughes was an ECW original. How come he wasn't remembered as such? He gives a great insight into that. He gives some great stories about that. So this is one that you're really, really going to enjoy. A very underrated episode here from the two-man power trip wrestling. And i got to be honest, it's quite a rare one as well because you don't see a lot of interviews with Mr. Hughes. That's a great, great way to end that because I think one of the questions you should ask if you come down to the icons of professional wrestling in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, this coming weekend is to the man, Joey Styles, who saw it all in ECW as the voice of extreme and ask him what his take is on if Curtis Hughes is an ECW original, because after you listen to what Curtis Hughes has to say, it's definitely very uh, debatable whether or not he should be included into that ECW original category, because I think if you look back at some of those early iconic moments of ECW in the early days of Extreme, Mr. Hughes was in the middle of the main storylines, and I think it's kind of laughable that he's not included in the talk of the ECW originals. And you think about a guy like Matt Bourne as well, who had, who played a big part in those early uh, days of ECW getting off the ground. You know, and these are guys that aren't recognized like uh, a guy like Raven or a guy like Shane Douglas or even the Sandman or Tommy Dreamer. Um, just because they did stay the duration of ECW uh, doesn't mean that the other people who came in 
like a Tito Santana or a Don Morocco or a Superfly Jimmy Snuka that these guys didn't help build the foundation for what ECW ended up becoming. So take a listen to that. That's actually, I think, one of my favorite parts of the entire interview. But we, of course, want to thank Curtis Hughes for coming on. Please go out of your way to check out what he's doing with his wrestling training and listen to that information that he gives at the end of the interview and hit him up if you want to think about getting into professional wrestling because there are very few trainers out there that I think, uh, as somebody who's never taken a full-blown bump, if I was going to, they would be the first guys on my list, and I can now add Curtis Hughes to that because what an education you do get just from listening to him, so I can't imagine what it's like to actually learn from him. So, John, with all that being said, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the big cat, Mr. Curtis Hughes. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Rasslin' Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're there, check out the feed for some past legendary episodes with the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Stan the Lariat Hansen. WB's lead attorney, Jerry McDivitt, Sergeant Slaughter, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, The Total Package, Lex Luger, Road Warrior Animal, The Phenomenal AJ Styles, The WWE World Champion, Dean Ambrose, and so, so, so many more. Also, you can check us out weekly on Wrestling Inc. Yes, that's WrestlingInc.com. Check us out over there. Also, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. That is TMPTOfWrestling.com. Also, while you're surfing the net, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. We have a site on there. And also, Buff Bagwell has a page, Kevin Thorne has a page, Tito Santana has a page, and so does Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf. So please check out ProWrestlingTees.com and buy the shirts. And now, without any further ado, a man known as Mr. Mean, or even the Big Cat. He's been the bodyguard to the stars and an all-time great trainer, mentor, and coach. He is Mr. Curtis Hughes. Please enjoy. identifiable as the most unique look that I think we've ever seen in professional wrestling. When you see the sunglasses and the hat, it's only identifiable with this man, the one and only Mr. Curtis Hughes. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Nice to be with you, man. How's it going? Oh, it's going excellent. I got to tell you, uh, sitting here watching SummerSlam last night and uh, enjoying a, a nice long show. And the second or third match of the evening, a nice reference to Mr. Curtis Hughes as one of your trainees, uh, Paulo Cruz, who was uh, wrestling for the Intercontinental title. They had a great tribute to you, Mauro Ronaldo, doing the commentary. Went out of his way to uh, talk about your protege, Apollo Cruz, and the work that you did training him. 
And I think that that's a really cool place to start because we're seeing him uh, elevating himself through the WWE roster. And obviously, for someone like yourself, is it nice to see one of your uh, your students, another one of your students, uh, ascend the way that Apollo Crews has? Uh, no doubt about it. I, you know, just you know, with anyone that uh, teaches or trains someone and they see him on television, you know, it's a it's a rush, you know, and also to a blessing, you know, because. Uh, you know, I'm a believer in all my students that attach to me. You know, they get blessed too. So it's a, it's 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 a blessing in in my opinion. But of course, a lot of hard work went into that on his part uh, when he first came to me. I wanted to be a professional wrestler, and of course, he knew that. You know, you know, everybody does research. If you're smart and you really want to make it in this business, you do have to do research on trying to find the right school to go to and if it's the right place for you to get the things you need, the tools you need to, to go further in the sport that we do, uh, which is professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, he did that and came and saw me, and uh, he was determined from day one. I already knew he was going to be good because it didn't take me long to learn anything. I mean, I show him, I'd show him one time, and he'd have it, you know. And then I like training people like that, big people, because I was a big guy, and, you know, I can relate to as far as uh, their size a little more. I mean, I train anybody, but I like training bigger people and athletic people, and he's one good athlete, no doubt about it, as you can see him on television uh, doing his thing. And uh, But uh, he's a good, you know, well-mannered kid. I mean, he he's respectful. Uh, you know, he just never got out of the ring. I mean, he, he started, I mean, you know, you – I'd get two guys in there, him and another person, and, you know, give you a break, and he'd never want to get out. He'd wait for it, go, go with the next person and the next person and the next person because he was wanting to learn fast, you know, and, and that's what it takes in the business. Uh, you know, if you want to be good, you got to learn and you got to be good, and he was one of them, no doubt about it. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Rocky where – one of those movies in Rocky Balboa where he was training this guy, this homeless kid, Tommy Gunn, and, you know, started teaching him. And then he had his first bout, and he was watching him downstairs, punching on the bag. You know, and I, I watched that. You know, it's kind of like that same feeling. You know, you'd be like, man, you know, you know, it's just, this is awesome, you know. This, this kid you train is on, on TV, and you're watching him, and that's great. And that's the thing uh, when I started in this, about teaching. I mean, you know, every person that came through the door actually wanted to teach them to make it, you know, and that's my whole goal. You know, you got some schools that just take people's money. They're not in the, their heart's not in it. My heart's into teaching professional wrestling because that's what I do. And so, you know, any person that calls me or joins my facility, well, they're going to get the best training they can possibly get. You know, because that's how I roll. You see. So, anyway, yeah, he was a he was a, he was a good student, and uh, I'm glad to see him. You know, doing his thing along as he, uh, you know, same as Heath Slater as well. You know, yeah, he, he's doing his thing as well. And, w- and what a great reference there with uh, with Rocky Five and Tommy Gunn, and that's definitely a uh, that's a great story of a teacher versus student and watching. Uh, the development from one side and the frustration in the student as he thinks he ends up being better than the teacher. But when you look right. at guys like Heath Slater and you look at how he's really progressed over the last six years and we've seen him grow from kind of a faceless guy in a group to being on 
both shows of a brand split WWE, but also looking at other students that you had like Moose and also AR Fox, but Apollo Crews, really specifically, some of the athletic moves that this guy does for his size are just mind-boggling. Is that something he came to you with out of the gate, was those unique things that a guy his size could do? Well, no, here's what happened. Like I said, I, you know, I, I was a big man in the wrestling business. I was over 370 pounds, okay? So on top of all that 370 pounds, I was a good athlete, you know. I mean, I played football. I I did track. I wrestled in high school. So I was a good a good athlete on top of that, the wrestling part. So he was he was kind of like the same. I mean, he was a big big guy that was a good athlete, see. And like I stated earlier, I love training big guys because I used to be a big guy, and I can show them stuff that's going to make them stand out as a big person. Normally, you see a big guy, he's in there pounding, kicking, and stomping, and that's about all he can do is squeezing you and squashing you. But to be different and unique, I tell guys, man, this is what happened for me. You're a big dude. If you do it this way, it can happen for you. So I was pretty much telling him that, you know, I'm going to train you the way I do my thing, and you put your own little twist to it later. And so, well, you know, the most important things I was I was teaching him that was that was impressive to people is drop kicks. I mean, you know, I mean, what, drop kicks was one of my main things. You know, you drop kick a guy in the skull, not in the body, because that's not doing anything. And you know, I've been wrestling for almost thirty years now, probably a year away from the thirty year mark. And you know. I'm old school all the way. I don't care what they do on television. I'm just old school to the dirt, and that's the way I teach because old school is where it's at. You cannot bury old school and think wrestling is going to survive. you got to keep training people the old style, old school style of wrestling. Now, with Moose and Nation and all my students that are out there, there's thousands of them. When I train thousands, and there are all, a lot of them are wrestling still, and, and a lot of them are doing pretty good. And, you know, when I see my students prospering, you know, like Apollo and Slater and Moose and Jonathan Gresham, and I can go on and on with all these different guys that I've trained, and it's all because that they've been taught right. And that's the most important thing about professional wrestling or about any other job, man. You have to be taught right. And if you're not trained correctly, you're just going to be – you know, like anybody else, just floating. Because, like I said, wrestling is it, professional wrestling is in my heart, is in my soul. That's what I do. And when a young person comes along and says, "I want you," to, I'm gonna pay you this money to teach me how to wrestle. My goal is, and I, live, you know, people say, "Oh, you know, my dream is to be a professional wrestler. My dream is to be a WWE superstar, whatever the case may be." And I pretty much tell them this: if you work hard and pay attention and learn what I'm trying to teach you, you have a possibility. But if you drag your feet and be lazy, you're not going anywhere. It's as simple as that. That's an absolutely great philosophy. And those guys, all that you mentioned, the guys that you did train and the guys that are on TV now, they all have such a unique identifier to them. And obviously, like I said, out of the gate, so did you throughout your career with your look. And everybody knew that when you came to the ring, you're all business. And to see some of these students that you have that they're kind of, you know, they've got the, the flashy nature to them. They've got, you know, nowadays they have a lot more of an elaborate uh, entrance uh, prerequisite, it seems. But 
specifically, I want to kind of move over to Heath Slater, and it's a guy who, like I said, he's benefiting the most from a, bland, a brand split WWE where there's two rosters, and he's got legit the most television time of anybody on either show, and I think that's a testament to his work. Now, how was Heath Slater coming to you as a young kid trying to get into the business? And obviously now he's been in the WWE himself for almost seven years already. Well, I, well, I'll tell you something, you know, just like any other student that comes in when he came in, you know, young, skinny, red-headed kid, you know, uh, didn't quite know how the future was going to turn out, you know, didn't know if he, if he could cut, cut the mustard as a professional wrestler. But I'll tell you this much, the man was hungry and he was willing to work hard to get where he is today. Now, you know, uh, I can remember when he came in and, 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 you know, started training and everything. I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you know, when I'm looking at these people in the ring and I'm training these people, you know, I don't, you know, I don't look at everybody as, you know, you know, he won't make it. He, you know, he's a this, he's a that. I don't look at people like that because it's been proved, proven to me time and time again, it don't matter what you look like. But if you pick up what I'm trying to teach you and you turn out to be pretty decent and pretty good about it, you have an opportunity. And so with him, you know, uh, you know, we started training. And, and one thing that I do when I train people is once I get you trained, you have a little tryout match. It's called a five-minute match, we call it. Okay. And then once you have that little five-minute match, we go. I'll take you, you know, you have a match, you get added to the shows that we do at the school, which I'm not at that same place. But before I left, that's what we did. And that's how a lot of guys got good real fast because, you know, after I train you, then you have your little test match, and then you graduate to the shows that we did on Thursday. Well, you know, I mean, he, you know, he, he learned pretty fast and, you know, Passed his test pretty. I think he passed his test the first tryout he had with us after I trained him. And then I started taking him on the road. Every time I got booked, I got a couple of my guys booked on shows, you know, to pretty much teach them the ropes, teach them how to deal with promoters, teach them how the road life is, you know, see if this is what you want. And he was one of those guys that was hungry. He really wanted to do it. He always wanted to, you know, you know help him get booked, help him get booked, help him get booked. And, you know, long story short, you know, he was here back when when uh, the WWE developmental called Deep South was here, you know, in Atlanta. And they uh, picked him up, you know, and uh, and he's been there ever since he left me. Ever since he left me to go to Deep South, he left the school to go try out, and he's been there ever since. So I pretty much knew when he went over to Deep South that they were going to snag him up because, he first of all, he got taught right, and... He understood the psychology of wrestling, and that's the most important thing. A lot of guys don't understand psychology, so a lot of guys think you can get in that ring. You know, first of all, they think you can buy some gear and call yourself a wrestler, and then if you get in the ring and do a couple of things, then you're a wrestler. No, it don't work like that. If you want to be good, you got to find a good teacher to show you how to do this stuff. It's like any other job. Yeah, and also uh, knowing the history of the wrestling business, like you had said earlier, doesn't hurt. And that's what another one of these protégés in Moose, he's not only an amazing athlete, not only a former football player, but the guy is so passionate about professional wrestling that does it make it easier for you to talk to somebody or teach somebody who actually is a fan of the business and does know like kind of what to expect rather than some guy who just comes through, thinks it's right. cool, thinks he's going to make money, and then he's weeded out within two days. 
Right. Well, you know, it was like this. You know, you got some places where they where they actually do things to wean you out to see if this is what you really want to do. Like it used to be back in the day when I was coming up in the wrestling business because it was so sacred, it was so secretive. Nobody wanted you to know the ins and outs. It was kayfabe, you might say. And so uh, back then it was a little harder for you to get in, and everything was pretty much sheltered. You know what you you know found out until you was actually in the business. But now today, it's just so simple now. Just like say for instance, you got a buddy, you guys drinking buddies, but you're the wrestler, but you just got training like six months ago. You're having a cold beer, you and your buddy that you know, and your buddy decide he wants to be a wrestler, and so he's asking you to train him, see? And that's what's going on today. I've been on many, many shows where I've seen guys in the ring that ain't got no business in the ring wrestling. You follow me? It's like they get the gear, then they have somebody teach them a couple things, then they get in the show. Man, let me tell you something. If the business keeps up like that, there won't be no fans to sit in the freaking arenas. You understand what I'm saying? So it's actually hurting the independent wrestler. Because people don't show up because of all the garbage that's floating out there in these wrestling shows. You understand what I'm saying? And so back to Moose. Sorry, I went off on, a, on that. I went off on that journey for a second because every time I talk about wrestling, I just love the sport, and I hate to see when people just take it for granted. You understand what I mean? Yep. And so you know, Moose. You know, he was he was very hungry. He had just got off the football field. His career with football was done. Because he had came in first and signed up and started training, and then his, I guess his agent called him, said he had a, had, a, had a gig for him with another team, and so he went and did that for a while. And then after that contract ended, I guess, you know, he was at the point where he had already been in the business for a while, the, the, the football business, the NFL. And so I guess he figured, okay, now I'm totally done. Now I can focus totally on professional wrestling. So he came back to finish up. Now, Moose, like I said, he was a good athlete. He was a good learner because he picked stuff up real fast. I mean, it was like, you know, if you're an athlete and you're used to organized sports, you know, you're trained to to get taught like that. When you got a teacher, trainer, or a coach showing you stuff, you're going to pick things up pretty fast. So, he was one of those individuals that learned real quick. I mean, I'd show him one time, boom, he'd have it just like Nation. I'd show him one time, he'd have the thing. I mean, I wouldn't have to spend that much time focused on the one particular hold or move or whatever the case may be. I'd show him one time, and he'd have it. So basically, uh, he, he it didn't take him long once he got back from the NFL and, and focused totally on wrestling. I'd say the whole time period it took him was about six months, and he was ready to rock and roll. And, you know, so I was kind of impressed with that. And now we see him on TNA. He was a big part of Ring of Honor for a while. I mean, he's made quite the career for himself. When you originally saw him, you know, football player turned wrestler, did that kind of remind you of, of yourself, of, of a younger version of yourself, you know, big guy, played football, yeah. and now getting into the wrestling? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. You know, that, you know and that, of course that happens, you know. You get a big guy in there. He went from the football field to the to the to the wrestling mat, uh, the wrestling canvas, and you know, reminiscing in your mind, you go, man, I sure remember those days, you know. And and, and and you see the guy, and you say, well, if this guy can can do some stuff, you know, like I did in this ring, and you know, and I throw stuff at him just to see if they could do it, you know. After they get trained a little bit, I was like, 
you familiar with a drop kick? You familiar with this? You familiar with that? And then I, you know, use a couple of other students to show them how it's done so they can so he can visualize it in his mind before he actually does it. And then he'll get there, get in there and just do it one time. Boom. I'll be like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this is going to be an easy guy to train. And I love it. I love it like that when guys are easy to train because it makes my job much easier. But they're going to be out there in the wrestling world sooner than later, see. And, of course, you got some people just drag their feet. They don't care. They're just they they don't they're not for sure if they can make it or not, you know. And and my thing is this, okay? I'm a trainer of people that want to be professional wrestlers. I don't take people's money for gaming or anything like that. It's wrestling is in my soul, it's a passion of mine. I love it, been loving it ever since I was a little bitty boy. And if I can see every guy I train make it, that is great. Bottom line. Now, if I could switch the topic a little bit onto you, and obviously, you know, you started in the Central States area. Who was, who was like, your main trainer? Who was the guy you went to? Was it Bob Geigel or was it somebody? Yeah, yeah, there? yeah, right. Bob Geigel or as a soul. He, I remember Bob Geigel. Now, this is before I actually got into business, if you don't mind me saying. This is before I got into business where he used to, you know, where I grew up at in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, he ran, you know, NWA Central State in Kansas City, where every every old school superstar you could imagine went through there, because Kansas City was they was a big NWA hotbed for you know old school professional wrestlers. I'm talking old school because this time, like Harley Race, you know, uh, Ric Flair, uh, Andre the Giant, Bulldog Bob Brown. I'm talking. A whole slew of superstars. Everybody went through there, and I remember, you know, Bob Geigel and Pat O'Connor and Sonny Myers, which Bulldog, which uh, 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 Bob Geigel and Sonny Myers, you know, both trained me. You know, because if Geigel, if Geigel was busy, then Sonny came in, you know, and worked with us. But but you know, he taught us a lot. I mean, you know, I was blessed to get directed to him. Uh, you know, it, it, and it was a good thing. And, and and the thing about it was, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to tell anybody. I'm going to put it in my book anyway. You know, that the guy didn't charge me a dime to train me, you know, because he was a big he was a big Iowa Hawkeyes guy. He went there and wrestled at Iowa. I almost went to college there. I went to football camp there for a couple of summers. So they were recruiting me pretty strong, so I was going to go there, and I guess – you know, he he thought I was going to go there too, and he was looking out for me. And but but long story short, I he you know he trained me him and him and uh, Sonny Myers, and um, you know they taught me real well, and um, and here I am today. <laughs> and I'd probably have to say your first really you know major break where you're majorly on TV. I, I mean, obviously you made a quick stop in the AWA, but WCW. How did you kind of catch on with WCW at that point? Well, you know, at the time, WCW, TBS, was coming on, you know, Channel 17, was coming on all over the country. And so, you know, after they sold it to Crockett Promotions, after Crockett sold it to Ted Turner, you know, they started playing it on TBS. And I started watching it. Now, I've been watching wrestling ever since I was a little bitty fella, but we're talking about WCW here. So, anyway... You know, I was watch. You know, I'd watch it whenever it's on. I believe it was on the weekends. I believe, 
And, you know, they had people on there like Harley Race. And, no, excuse me. They had people like Luger on there, the Four Horsemen, people like that. And at the time, I was in AWA. They came on ESPN. And so even though I was watching, you know, WCW, WWF at the time, you know, that's when I noticed WCW, Championship Wrestling. And I used to watch it all the time. Now, I noticed they had Luger on, like I said, Luger. He had the torture rack. That was his finish. And a variety of other stars that was on there. And so, uh, interesting company. You know, I didn't think I was ever going to go there in my mind, you know, because I, at that time I was a young fellow. I was just, you know, I was in AWA just starting from making that transgression, that tra- uh, making that uh, transaction to a bigger league, which was AWA in Minnesota. And so once I got on their television, and uh, I guess Ole saw me, and uh, I guess they said, well, we need, we found somebody to work with Luger because we had the same torture rack, the fin- same finish, which was the torture rack. And so they called me, and we talked some business, and next thing I know, here I am in Atlanta. I've been here ever since. Hmm. And it's a great you know, starting point as far as you becoming a big star on TV. Because WCW, you know, was it wasn't the number two at the time. I mean, you could say it's far behind, but TBS was covered everywhere, and it was becoming a huge, huge station around, you know, all around. So when you right. first debuted, you weren't actually Mr. Hughes at first. You were the Big Cat. Was that just, you know, who you were? You're Curtis Hughes. You're the Big Cat, or was that? Yeah, well, well, let me tell you. Well, let me tell you the story about that behind Big Cat. You know, as you know, I went to K State, Kansas State University. Mm-hmm. Their mascot was the Wildcat. And so, actually, what I was doing was, even though I was, you know, getting into the wrestling business, I was going off of that, well, the Wildcat gimmick, you know, instead of saying, you know, Curtis the Wildcat, I just said Curtis the Cat, you know. And so, that's where that that particular thought came from. So, uh, you know, I started out Curtis the Cat or Curtis Hughes or whatever the case may be, but it was Curtis the Cat, which, like I said, I got it from my mascot when I was at Kansas State University. And so started doing that gimmick and, uh, you know, got it over. And like I said, got a call from uh, uh, Magnum TA. He was the assistant, I guess, to uh, Dusty at the I mean, to, uh, excuse me, to uh, Ole at the time. And they called me up and they wanted to do some business, so I did, came here. And uh, and then been here and then, you know, started doing my big cat gimmick on shows all over the place, and they're impressed. And so I guess at, the, at that particular time, they're, they're in the process of switching bookers. Ole was the booker when I came in, and then they were uh, in the process of getting rid of him and switching over and letting Dusty be the booker. And so when that happened, uh, Dusty came in and, uh, you know, I was still working the big cat gimmick, but I guess he saw something much better as far as character goes that would work for me much better. So he came to me and asked me, uh, you know, if I mind, basically he said, I have a better gimmick for you if you're interested. And I I said, of course. He goes, you you familiar with Big Bubba Rogers' gimmick? I was like, yeah, the bodyguard gimmick, right? He goes, yes. We want you to we want you to do that gimmick. And I was like, exactly like that, with the tie and all that, the suit and everything. 
He goes, yeah, but, you know, put your own little twist to it and come up with your name, come up with a name for the gimmick. I was like, my goodness, that was a no-brainer, right? <laughs> so so I, 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 I went to the store. I, I, I went to the, you know, suit shop and got hooked up on a suit and had everything double-stitched because I was going to wrestle in my gear. And what I had to do with that with that gimmick was I couldn't be exactly, to get it over, I realized I couldn't be the same gimmick as Big Bubba Rogers because he come to the ring, he'll take off his some things, he'll take off his jacket, he'll take off his hat, he'll take off his gloves, he'll take off his shades. And I was like, wait a minute, if I'm supposed to be this big, bad SOB bodyguard, the only thing I should shred off is my jacket and hat, and that's it. And so I had to figure out a way to keep my shades on, which I did, and it worked out for me. Quite well and quite a unique, awesome look. I mean, you just look at that and you're like, man, this guy is a badass, and it just, you know, he doesn't take off the glasses. You know, he's got the suit. It was just the perfect look and the perfect look for a bodyguard. So it was basically you and Dusty came up with the idea, which is great. What was your relationship like with Dusty? Well, it was pretty good, actually. Uh, he used to always say, uh, <laughs> I remind him of LT. Every, every time I got in front of him, up to the day, you know, up to this point before he, before he went to heaven, Lord rest his soul, you know, every time I would run across him at a fan fest or something, he always say, yeah, you, you remind me of Lars Taylor, you know, and all <laughs> that. But, 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 yeah, we got along pretty good. I mean, like I said, if it wasn't for Dusty, you know, like I tell everyone, if it wasn't for Dusty Rhodes, that Mr. Hughes' character never would have came into play. You never, you never, probably never would have seen him, Mr. Hughes, if it wasn't for Dusty Rhodes. I probably would have been the big cat forever. You know, like Ernie Ladd, he was Ernie Ladd, the cat forever. But if it weren't for Dusty and cha- helped me change to another character, that kind of catapulted my career in a different, in an upward predi- uh, direction. You see, because once I, you know, every time they put me on television, they 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 had me demolish people. You know, and of course, you know, I I, I always, you know, I did a lot of one two threes, but you know, hey, that don't matter. I had a job, and so that helped me as well as going to the WWF at the time and, you know, getting that run with The Undertaker. Definitely, and I definitely want to touch on that run with The Undertaker, but first I wanted to talk about the perfect pairing. When they put you with Luger and Harley Race, and, you know, you were with the York Foundation, that was okay, but I thought the perfect pairing was kind of that Harley Race-Luger pairing. Did you kind of, you know, enjoy that role? with Luger, because Luger's at the top of his game at that point. It was basically the top heel in the company. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I mean, you know, let me tell you something. I was I was, <laughs> I was, was on cloud nine at the time uh, because, like I said, I used to watch Luger and, you know, Harley Race growing up and, you know, watch, watch these guys on television. So I never thought in a million years that I would be walking down the same aisle with them driving in the same car with them, hanging out in the same dressing room with them, working with them. I never thought that in a million years. But here I was with them now, okay? I, when I first came in, you know, they had me working with Luger, at, going around the country, having torture rack matches. We got along great. We had a good time on the road, you know. And, you know, I mean... Like I said, I mean, Luger was good. He was, it was, it was cool. I mean, me, him, and Harley were worked good together. I never had no problems except one time, 
uh, in one town where, you know, we had a match and it didn't, he wasn't doing his job as far as working with me. And so we had a few words later on, but that solved that problem, you know. But other than that, you know, it was, it was uh, like I said, it was just like, you know, I'm here I am with these heroes in the ring working with them that I used to watch growing up. And here I was, and you know, I'm I'm pretty sure Nation feels that way too, <laughs> and I'm pretty <laughs> sure he felt that way too. I mean, you know, because they we talk, you know, I talk to my guys a lot, you know, and and uh, you know, I, I ask them, I say, don't mean to go off on the other road here, but I, I ask them, you know, how does it feel? Do, you know, does it feel like I told you it was feel? And they go, Mr. Hughes, this feels, <laughs> it seems like it feels like a dream still. They say, you know. But I was like, here's the deal. Enjoy the ride, brother, because <laughs> eventually the train has to stop, you know? Very true. Very, you know, very wise words for the guys. With that train kind of keep on rolling with WCW, you wrestled a lot of the top guys, and obviously the face of WCW was Sting. What was it like getting in the ring with Sting at that point? Because as a, as a young fan of that era, I remember, oh, my God, you know, I'm a big Sting fan, but... Mr. Hughes is going to kill this guy. Well, you know, I mean, like Sting as well. I mean, I remember seeing him on television. And, you know, you know, when you see these guys growing up on TV, man, you know, they're bigger than life, you know. And then once you get in their presence, right, and here you are, you have to go in there and compete with them. You Man, it's like, it's like you know, it's like in your mind, you got to put this, this freaking man. I got to get, I got to get myself together. I got to get my, got to get my game face on. I'm in, in this ring with Sting. You know, I mean, you know, you catch yourself and say, wait a minute, he's just another wrestler too. He's been in the business long, long as I, longer than me. But still, I'm have to go out there and work with him to get this match over with these fans. You know, but that was, you know, even working with Sting. I mean, he was, it was, it was a freaking amazing thing. I mean, I was. I was I was so so overwhelmed with joy being out there with him, you know, because pretty much, you know, he let me do my thing, and and you know, he was going over, so it didn't matter. So I was just like, you know, this is awesome, man. You know, I called every friend I knew and told him about it. You know, and, it was awesome. And you had some great matches against the, the Steiner brothers too, which was fun seeing those guys being able to. To, you know, you and Vader, two huge guys. Somehow the Steiner brothers are able to suplex you guys. Was it oh, fun yeah. being in those matches with those guys? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I'll I tell you something. I had a ball working with those guys because at first, you know, before I actually had a match with them, right, I mean, I actually thought they were stiffer in the pipe. I really did. <laughs> but just by looking at them do stuff, you're like, man, they look like they might hurt hurt you a little bit. <laughs> I mean, you know, even though they're like real shooters, you know, they did amateur like I did. And so once I got in the ring and started doing things with them, oh, my goodness, it was a day off. It was like a night off. That's why I didn't mind bumping around and flying around for those guys, you know. I mean, hey, you know, you guys are the tag champs, whatever the case may be. Our job is to make you look like champs. But when the time comes, we're going to get some heat on you, you know, so take a butt, good butt whipping like a man. But, of course, when the time comes, you know, yeah, you can have your belts back. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, those yep. guys were tough. They were work easy to get along with. They were easy to work with. You know, uh, you know, I can I can remember very seldom, very 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 seldom, have I ever worked anyone that gave me trouble. You know, most everybody did business. You know, 
anybody you can think of that gave you a problem in the ring? Well, uh, well, not 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 really a problem, but uh, I remember one time uh, I uh, had a, I was at ECW uh, scheduled to wrestle uh, Two Cold Scorpio, hmm. and we were we were in this town, and uh, I, we've been I've been knowing Two uh, Two Cold for years. I mean, he started around the same year I started, like '87. So and we ran across each other coming up, you know, the ranks around the world. And cause he was from Colorado. I lived in Kansas, see. And uh, so, you know, one day we had a match that was on the road at ECW. And we were out there just wrestling, you know. Everything was fine in the back, you know, and we go out there to fight. And he just did not want to work with me for some reason. You know, he wasn't selling anything. He wasn't. He wasn't doing anything. So... I kind of pouted out on the floor and told the referee, you know, hey, you know, tell this guy if you don't get it in gear, I'm I'm leaving. You're gonna have to count me out, man. You know, because sometimes that happens. You know, I mean, some guys don't want to do business right, and you just have to do it like that because you're not gonna, you can't just sit in the ring out there and get in the freaking street fight. You feel me? And so it's best to, you know, iron it out later. Just go ahead and let the referee count you out and go on back to the dressing room, man. Instead of you know, you know, instead of exposing. Or business like that, you know. So, yeah, he's about the only one, really. And what was the finish of the match? Did it end up being a countdown? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I left. I, you know, okay, we tried. I got back in, right? Uh, I'm sorry I didn't finish the story. But anyway, the first time I got out, t- had the rest tell, tell him, you know, tell him to get it together now. If not, I'm going to leave. So I got back in. We started up again. And he still wasn't doing what he's supposed to do. So I told the, told the ref, when I leave, you start counting. I'm not coming back. And I head towards the dressing room, and Paul E's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? The match, that's not the finish. Go back out there. No, 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 no. I'm going like, I will not go back out there. I'm done with him. He don't want to work with me, and I'm done. So I went on and got to the dressing room and started taking my gear off. I was not going back. Paul e was mad, but. Hey man, you know you can't. If a guy don't want to work with you in that ring, you can't stay out there because it ain't going to go according to plan. It's just going to be a total abortion. Bottom line, and that's why I didn't go back. But he was hmm. the only one, basically. Hmm. You know, talking about ECW, you said talking about Paul Lee a little bit there, but if I could just go back to WCW for one second, mm-hmm. how, how did you actually leave WCW? Because I know you were Mister Hughes. Yeah. But then you became the big cat again, and then the exit. Yeah. What was the, what was the reason for leaving WCW? Well, well, what happened was, um, you know, uh, uh, they changed bookers again. Yeah. All right. And Bill Watts got the book this time, and uh, I don't know what happened. I mean, he was he was uh, interested at the time. He was highly interested, and uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, they, then all of a sudden. Uh, I think what happened was uh, I think Dusty knew he was getting ready to get get released on that booking part, and so I guess he went ahead and switched me back to Big Cat. But I already knew I was on my way out because why would you switch me back to Big Cat when Mr. Hughes was getting over? So I already pretty much knew my run was over as Mr. Hughes, and so, you know, 
I was pretty much already set on, you know, contracts about over. So basically, it was a contract was about the was about the end, and then they wasn't going to renew it. So that's why they did that, and they switched bookers, you know. So that's the reason why I left, you know, from there the first time. And it's interesting because you know you leaving and you become big head again, but you end up in WWF eventually. You know, a few stops in between, but you end up in WWF eventually back as Mr. Hughes. So did, is that something that Vince calls you up and is like, I love the Mr. Hughes character. I want that character in the WWF. Uh, yep, yep, I believe, yep, that's what, yeah, pretty much. Well, what happened with that was I was over in, after I left WCW, I started touring all over the world, in Japan and everywhere I could go, you know, got to eat, you know. And Yo. so, um, I got, I sent Vince McMahon and them, WWF, at the time, a package, you know, you know, me, Mr. Hughes, resume, the whole nine yards. They already knew I was, but that's how you do business, you know. It ain't like you call it, you know, it ain't like, you know, you send them a picture and all your information is on the back of the freaking picture. You'll never get a call. You got to do it professionally. And that's what I did. You know, I FedEx it, overnighted it, and they got it, and whole nine yards. And uh, the first time they denied me, first time they rejected me, no big deal. I was still doing my independent thing, making some good money at that. And then uh, after that, then I was went to Puerto Rico. Uh, I was on the Puerto Rico tour, and uh, doing the show. Sergeant Slaughter was there. We knew each other back from the AW days, AWA days. And uh, one day, uh, I was out doing the show in, on the island, and came back to the hotel, and my phone light was beeping. You know, like message light was beeping. So I picked the phone up and checked out to see what the message was, and the message was. Sergeant Slaughter, was, you know, wanted me to call him back um, at, the, at the office at WWE in the morning. So I did that, right? Well, actually, I called his number because he's the one, you know, because it was the weekend. And he goes, yeah, you know, Vince is interested in you. He wants to bring you down to Augusta for a tryout. And that's what it, it goes, when are you going to be back from uh, Puerto Rico? You know, and I was like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be back, you know, Sunday, you know. Well, all right, we'll be there, you know, Monday or something. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember. But I got back and, you know, went to, uh, to Augusta for the tryout and, uh, <laughs> you know, got a job that, that night. That's uh, Now, that's pretty unbelievable because the WWF was in a, a really uh, transition point at that time, uh, kind of moving away from some of the top stars that uh, got them to where they were. In '93, and when you came in, you went right. You went right for the big man. You went right for the Undertaker. And was that uh, what was pitched to you right out of the gate? Oh, yeah. Well, um, pretty much, um, because at first, you know, I mean, I was just, you know, I was just, just floating, you know, signing a contract, just doing my thing as a wrestler. And uh, one day, how I knew something was up was. I mean, because the matches on on YouTube anyway and network whatever. But we had a six man. It was me, uh, a million dollar man, uh, uh, Mike Rotunda. He was a uh, you know the guy in the suit at the IRS, IRS, and against the Nasty Boys and, and Big Kamala. Okay, and we were we were, you know, 
about to have the match, and, and Vince was like, you know, let me know what's going on in that, and, you know, let me know before you guys go out there. And so we, you know, pretty much uh, put the match together, and there, and of course, I was going to, I was the one that was going to do the honors, so, you know, I went back to Vince and told him, and he just said, no, 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 we're going to have to switch that up, you know. So basically, uh, Kamala ended up, you know, doing the honors, you know, so that's pretty much saving me basically, uh, you know, and then I kind of knew something was going on then, and then all of a sudden one day was at Arena. I don't know what town it was. I don't know what city it was because it's been so long ago. And he came up to me and said, uh, you're going to beat the Undertaker up and lay him out and take his urn and all that stuff, you know. Of course, I had to piss myself. I had to do a double take and say, excuse me, sir, you know. <laughs> but that's what happened, and that's how it went down. And that was a pretty big statement at that point, because any time you went after The Undertaker and you grabbed the urn, that was going to be quite the story, and it really was, as you went on a pretty uh, unprecedented, undefeated streak uh, through the mid-part of 1993. And at that point, anybody who came in to face The Undertaker was automatically going to be a big spot, and I can just recall, you know, being from the Northeast and seeing all the different, you know, the house show uh, previews and seeing, you know, at MSG and the Nassau Coliseum, the Meadowlands, and all the different matches that you guys had. How was it working with The Undertaker at that point? And obviously still going today, albeit, you know, maybe one or two times a year, but still The Undertaker, uh, one of the staples of the WWE still in 2016. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, first of all, it was a pleasure, you know, having an angle with the guy. I mean, he's class act. I mean, straight up businessman. I mean, you know, he 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 does what he needs to do to get that match over, to get that character over. And he works with you, with other people. I mean, he just don't. You know, some guys just want to just own the whole dead gum match. I mean, they just don't want to do nothing. Well, he's not like that. He's one of those guys that's like, you know, do your thing. And of course, you know, you, you're gonna let him do his thing. But the end result is, you're going in the box. You know, and that's just the way it is, you know, because he's the Undertaker. And every night we worked and sold out freaking main events sometime in casket matches, which was a real casket. I always used to get freaking so freaking nervous and wooey about getting in that thing. And one day somebody locked, closed it up after a, after a match we had, and they locked it some kind of way, and I couldn't get the thing open. You're talking about having a freaking anxiety attack. My goodness. I was freaking out in there. I think the guys threw a big rib on me because they knew I didn't like getting in it every night, you know. Oh, my gosh. No, that's crazy. And those casket matches, that was uh, that was a staple of the house show scene. And they weren't having them on television at that point, and you really had to pay your money to see an, a unique match like that, a casket match. Yeah. But also some of the pairings that you guys had, some of the tag team matches, uh, specifically either, you know, against The Undertaker or with other opponents. But sticking with Taker for a second – when you get into those casket matches and you have the mouthpiece on the outside, you had downtown Bruno, obviously Harvey Whippleman, and he had mm-hmm. Paul Bear. How much do you guys rely on some of the outside factors in a match when you guys are telling a story of two big guys just clubbing each other? Well, you know, that's important because, you know, uh, you know, for a manager's role is there just to help you if you need help on something where a uh, distraction or something for the referee you know, or, or or choking a guy or poking something in his eye when the ref ain't looking. You know, that's basically what, what a manager is. 
to help you defeat whoever your opponent is you're facing, basically. But if the guy has some kind of character, has a personality that can help go along with what my character was, then it works out, you know, because sometimes, you know, when people, you know, they manage to get stuck with this particular guy, but they don't cling, they don't mess together, they don't work together, they don't get overseen. But for some kind of reason, uh, whenever I was with, uh, whenever I had a manager with me, I always knew how to do it, I always knew what to do. I mean, we talked, you know, when I'm doing this, you don't do this. When I'm doing this, you don't do that. You follow me? And so that's basically what they, uh, what, you know, you got to be on the same page. You got a manager, you have to be on the same page. So if we're doing something in the ring, you stand there and don't move because we don't want the attention to go to you. We want the attention to go to what we're doing up in the ring. You follow what I'm saying? And so if you're a good manager, you know how to do all that, and Harvey was good at that. Because he oh, had yeah. been Harvey. for years up in Memphis, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was uh, a staple in Memphis, and then he's had, um, you know, quite the run uh, in the WWF as well, WWE as well. But with those yeah. two on the outside, and like I said, he did the tag team matches and stuff, and one of the ones that really stood out to me, and I remember this as a kid watching these, and I never really saw the match. I don't know if they released them on any of the home videos, but The Undertaker teaming with the Macho Man against you and a guy who – it's quite the impressive tag team partner. I can only imagine what it was like to work side by side, but with the giant Gonzalez, four oh, personalities, four guys in the ring. How is it working or communicating with a guy like, uh, like the, you know, late great giant Gonzalez, but also as well, the macho man who was such an electric guy and they were trying to kind of phase him out at that point. But still you guys had a pretty good interaction on television from what I recall, but obviously those four dynamics, how was it, you know, kind of working those tag matches? Well, you know, it was that's, those what you call gimmick matches, you know. And you just go out there and you try to do the best you can. You you figure out, you know, uh, different things for, you know, it's different situations to do it with, you know, because Giant Gonzalez, you know, he wasn't a great worker, Lord So he wasn't a great worker in the world, but, you know, you had to figure out how to do some stuff with him. That You know, that's why I kind of pretty much try to get in there most of the time and do something and get out, let him come in and do something, something, and, you know, we we kept the kept the flow going. Matter of fact, I haven't I had <laughs> all these years I forgot about that match. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I didn't wrestle so 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 many matches through my career, and a lot of them I don't remember, and some of them I do remember. You know, just like this one you're talking about the tag. You know, it wasn't even in my mind until you said something. You know, so 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 I'm trying to remember the best I can. I'm sure you know. I'm pretty sure that's what a lot of guys that's been wrestling a long time. You know, you you've been doing this stuff for years, and you've wrestled thousands and thousands of people, different people on top of that, right? And so you know, I get that all the time on shows I go to. People say, "Yeah, I remember you," and I was this little, and you wrestled so and so. You know, I'm going like, man, I forgot about that one. You know, now if I wanted to, I can either go to YouTube or 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 the network and and look at that stuff. But you know, or the internet and everything's on the internet now. So you know. Well, I definitely yeah. suggest going on YouTube and checking out the uh, the promos are there for uh, some of the matches with you and uh, the Macho Man doing the uh, the talking for both sides. And what I thought oh, yeah. was cool about yeah. those promos is that we actually we got to hear you talk and. You know, one thing that, you know, I think is awesome about you, especially, you know, with the interview we're having tonight is that, you know, the actual, like, not having the ability to grab the stick and you always had a mouthpiece with you that did the talking and you were the force, you were the action. 
But in those promos against the Macho Man, you know, you got the mic, you got the time to, to speak. Did you feel like when you got that time to convey your message that when you were silent for as long as you were, that when you were going to speak, you were going to get your point across? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, because to be honest with you, when I first got to WWF, you know, and, I, and, and they had me start doing promos, right? Well, Vince asked me, he goes, how come they didn't let you do promos up there at WCW? You're doing real well. I said, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> they just basically wanted me to stand there behind Luger, you know. I mean, I did a couple as Big Cat, but, you know, not as like when I was in the WWF. Now, they, you know, they once they realized that I could talk, you know, and, I mean, we did thousands of freaking promos for every city you want to go to. I mean, we sit in this box that's got air conditioning in it, and you just cut promos for each city, you know, and you could cut like 20 promos. You understand what I'm saying? That's how we used to do it back in the day. They had these portable blue big boxes that you got in there, air conditioning and them, lights and all that other stuff, camera, and you did your promos inside these boxes. And when they let you know, and once you didn't did two or three of them, you pretty much just did pretty much the same promo for each city because they weren't going to see it anyway. You know, like even though you're saying the same thing, you know, they don't know that in this other city. You follow what I'm saying? So it was pretty easy. Every now and then you take, put, add some stuff, make it funny, whatever the case may be. I had a ball with that. We 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 uh we always had a ball. I enjoyed doing those face to faces too. You know, that was what they used to do. They call it back in the old days. You know, those yeah, face to face interviews. Those were fantastic. Those were those really told the story of what you were going to see at the house show because it was house show business at that point, rather than driving right. to the television. But the guys that you worked with, you know, as well. There's you got your you know your Bret Hart's and the Scott Halls and even Hacksaw Jim Duggins. And did you feel that that WWF roster was on the rise at that point? Because like I said a couple times, it was a transition year or so. And it was some guys in, some guys out, but really, uh, yeah. you know, starting to change the look of what they were right. about at that point. Right, yeah, it was. It was changing a little bit because before it was Hulk Hogan Rock and Wrestling, you know, and they had all these steep, these cartoon stars that were on there. I mean, it was good. I mean, you know, I mean, it really got interesting when the kids really started to watch it. That's That's when it was back then. And then, you know, me coming in back in 93, you know, they were switching up, going to uh, upgrade a little bit more with, you know, different talents, you know, younger, you know, slightly younger talent, but, you know, uh, more more characters coming in, different characters coming in, you know, Honky Tonk Man, you know. I mean, all these guys that were, uh, you know, entertaining to watch, basically, you know. And, you know, now, I mean, my goodness, you don't know who's a heel and who's a babyface now. No, without a doubt. And you know what? Actually, as we're talking, uh, you know, WWF, obviously, you know, the the year of 1993 being as what it was, you didn't stay as long as maybe uh, we could have thought you, you would have stayed. But what led to your exit from the WWF in 1993 and moving on to uh, a couple other promotions at that point? But what led to that exit? Well, you know, uh, you know, when I was in uh, WCW, you know, uh, I was young, young, young and dumb. You know, so, so you know, I was using drugs and things like that. And hell, everybody was. You know, it wasn't no surprise, nothing. It wasn't no secret. And so uh, I think uh, at my first shot at trying to go to WWF, 
you know, uh, I sent that package, like I said earlier, to them to try to get a job. But, you know, I guess they, I guess they heard through the grapevine that I, that I did drugs, you know. And, and uh, you know, in this business, there's a lot of stooges. So people lie. They tell stories, whatever. But that part was true. Yes, I did drugs. And so I guess the reason why they didn't hire me at first because they thought that I was still doing it. You follow me? So they let me wait a while, you know, and see, you know, if I was, you know, clean and whole nine yards. But once they called me, when they called me up in Puerto Rico and had that tryout and everything, uh, you know, they tested me and all this and did what they needed to do, had my physical and everything and passed everything and everything was cool, you know. Because, you know, I still had the letter and all that from when they, you know, you know, let me go and all that stuff, you know. I mean, it was what happened when they let me go, right? Uh, they said I didn't pass the drug test, and uh, I don't know how I didn't pass it because they, you know, they, I did it that they gave me a drug test right before our Anaheim match with the Undertaker, and uh, and they sent me home that night. So I'm going like, how are you are you gonna flunk a drug test that fast? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So. You know, so so that that's why I wasn't there no more. I left because they because they let me go for drugs. That is definitely something I didn't know. I just thought it kind of added to uh, the legendary Mr. Hughes character, like oh he's in WCW, he's in WWF, he's in ECW, he's kind of popping up everywhere. I didn't know about that. No, that's 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 the truth right there. Yeah, they 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 said I was using drugs. Which I wasn't, so, you know. I mean, but I ended up going back two more times, so, you know, there you go. Yeah, you ended up in 97, kind of returned for a little bit as Triple H's bodyguard. How did they kind of reach out to you to bring you back? Uh, Well, let me see. Uh, I sent them another uh, <laughs> resume and stuff like that. And, and then, of course, they called me back, and uh, they wanted to do some business. And when they brought me back this time, they weren't for sure if they wanted to use me as just a regular Mr. Hughes, the bodyguard, or put me with Triple H as his butler, you know. Because at first they were going to just put me with Triple H as his bodyguard slash butler. Mm -hmm. I was asking asking Mr. McMahon, I was like, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to be his bodyguard? Uh, Butler? He goes, yeah, bodyguard slash butler. You know, you got a towel, you know, like a hang over your forearm, you know, yeah, I can get I can get a hanky or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, that's what I did for that. And, uh, you know, as long as I was there, you know, we, you know, we did what we did. I did one, one uh, Royal Rumble there. And after that, you know, uh, I think uh, what happened, the contract ran out and I was done. And then came back again in 99 in, in a small role, kind of a, a funnier role with Chris Jericho. How would you come back that time? Well, at, on that particular uh, uh, run, um, the, the millennium was ready to kick in, okay? It was 99, and 2000 was ready to kick in. And so I had, I had started working out. Uh, I started getting in shape, started, you know, cutting all that fat off from the bodyguard guy that you used to see in this big old dude. And I just hit the gym. Like, after I had got let go from uh, the WWF the second time with Triple H, I uh, got myself, started getting myself in shape, started working out every day. I stopped drinking. I stopped, stopped eating a bunch of garbage. I got serious about working out and getting in shape. I was clean, didn't have to do worry about drugs no more. I left all that stuff alone way back in WCW. 
but I was trying to focus on getting my body right. And so what I did was I started working out and getting in shape. And I come up with this this character that I was going to use was called um, the Millennium Man, Mr. Hughes. And, you know, once I, I, like I said, when I started working out, I weighed about 380, okay, almost 400 pounds. And when I sent them that Millennium Man package with the picture and all that resume and all that stuff, I was weighing about 265. So it looked like I was all juiced up, you know. It looked like I was on the sauce. I, I, I mean, but I was clean. I wasn't on anything because under all that fat and all that, you know, was muscle, you know what I mean? And, and I cut the fat off. And I was lifting weights the whole time and sitting in the sauna and riding the Stabmaster. So I cut it off. So I sent the package up as the Millennium Man. They saw it, called me back. I FedExed the package. They called me back when they got the package, which is, you know, Tom Pritchard. He was, a, at the time, he was uh, the assistant up there at the time for Vince. I think he was under Vince or something. But he was the go-to guy back then. And so he called me when he got the package and said, yeah, we got the package. Uh, we're interested in doing some business with you. <laughs> First thing he asked if I was on the juice. You know, I was like, no, 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 I'm not on the juice. You know, I'm just work. I just worked hard. I just got, I trained real hard and got it off. That's it. So they flew me up there for a week and I trained. They wanted to make sure I was in ring shape and did a physical and whole nine yards and, you know, passed the test and all that and sent the contract and we started doing some business. And was there anything as far as, Chris Jericho being the millennium, you know, the, the basically he was kind of the millennium. Was there any kind of tie-in with Well, well, I don't know. You know what? You know what? I'll be honest with you, I don't know because when I sent that package, okay, and when they finally decided to do some business with me, I didn't know they were going to stick me with them and call him Y2J. I didn't know. But I know that I sent them a package that says that I was going to be total. I mean, the millennium and Mr. Hughes. And so the next thing I know, they stuck me with him. So, you know, your guess is good as mine. I'm still trying to figure that one out myself. <laughs> one of these days <laughs> when I get in somebody's presence around, I'm asking that question, <laughs> you know, because I like to know myself. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you didn't really stay there for that long. Was that kind of the plan, just a short little run? and then No, no, no. What happened? No, what happened with that? Was uh, we were having we had we had a tag, and against the nasty boy nasty boys against the Dudley boys one night, and they went to give me their finish. You know their finish they do that 3D. Yes. And I pulled a quad real bad. I mean I ripped it toward, and so I was hurt. You know so, um, when I when I went home to get that quad repaired, you know. That's when they released me, you know, from when I got hurt off of that, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what happened with that. I didn't get fired. It's just when they, because they paid me throughout my contract, but, you know, they didn't renew it because I don't know why, but, you know, because they was telling me, you know, all right, you know, if you want to get out, if you want to go to WCW, you know, we can let you out of this contract. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Never mind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep doing what I'm doing, you know, and I got healed up, and uh, then they sent me down to Memphis. Uh, you know, uh, what, you know, door shows, you know, uh, um, uh, Stephen Regan was there, you know, uh, uh, 
uh, Anvil was there. Uh, 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 what the hell's name? Quick. What's his name? Uh, dude, black kid with the dreads. I can't remember his name. Too quick? No. What's his name? Oh, K Quick. Quick. Yeah, uh, he was. Yeah, yeah, K, yeah. K Quick was there, and that's when he he was on developmental back then. You know, uh, you know, it was a lot of people down there that was on develop. Yeah, that's when they had developmental back in uh, Memphis back then. And so they sent me there, and then my contract ran out, and then and then that was done. That was my last run. And you got to work with Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and a lot of the oh yeah Memphis yeah. legends of the day as well. Oh yeah, down at the USWA, down there in Memphis for Jarrett, 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 you know. So you know, I've been around pretty much a lot of different territories, you know, different different promotions, and uh, you know, I had a, I, I've had a good little career, you know, uh, you know, it has, you know, as far as my runs go with WWE and WWF, they haven't been like you know long runs, but you know, I had I had experience with them, you know what I'm saying? So you know, it, it's been. I have I I I I've had a good run. Now, oh yeah, you know you mentioned you know having a good run and and you kind of mentioned having that injury there, and I couldn't help but thinking until we kind of uh, glanced over a little bit. But did you like when they used to do that gimmick? It was kind of funny where they punch you in the face like Tataka did and Sting did at one point where they punch you in the face and the the glasses get broken and and they you know they pretend like you're blinded. Oh yeah, that's a. That's a deal I did with dog. Yeah, well, yep. um, I re- you know, you do what you, you do with dads because you have a contract, you know. I mean, so you know, one day they just said, "Yeah, we want to do somewhere," you know. Um, we want this, this is what is going to turn me back, baby. You know, you know, you want to rig your glasses up a little bit so when dog hits you, they explode. When sting hits you, they're exploding like glass went in your eye and. Dog comes out and helps you out. You guys end up partners and all this. You know that was just, that's 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 when I was pretty much almost out of there. So, you know, I just I just went along with it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And did you have besides you know the quad and stuff? Was that the worst injury you had, or did you have any yeah. other, you know real bad yeah. injuries in the business? Yeah, yeah. The quad is the worst one I ever had because uh, everything else was football related. You know. And you know, I mean, I remember, I remember pulling a groin uh, when I was getting trained, you know. But other than that, no, that's the worst one. And I know we kind of glanced over a little bit. We talked about the two cold Scorpio match and the countout. But did you like your time in ECW? It definitely, I would say, at that point was uh, definitely a bit of a you know a bit of a different league than let's say you know the PG WWF or the P, almost PG WCW at that point as well. Yeah, well, you know, at the time, um, you know, because I started, I started with ECW when they were first getting off the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, you see pictures of people saying, you know, they put these pictures up with these guys, right? You know, you got Jim and all these other guys, the original WWE four crew. I'm going like, they missing one. I was the first one. You understand? I mean, I was the first guy that the first WWF star to start working for ECW. So. I'm going like, well, how come my picture ain't up on there? I mean, trust me, man. I'm not complaining, but let's tell the truth here. I remember when Paulie called me and, and asked me, he says, got this project. He's trying to get off the ground. 
It's called Extreme Championship Wrestling. It's a little different from normal wrestling. It gets a little wild, and he's looking for some stars. So he called me. We got some things worked out as far as business goes. And I flew up there to Philly for his first TV taping, which was inside of an old abandoned-looking high school gym, you know. And then, and then it just gradually started getting better and better as time went on. You know, like a lot of those guys that you see, you know, like the Dudley Boys and Taz and, and Dreamer and, and uh, you know, a lot of these young cats back in that day were still training in, 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 at the ECW arena sometimes before shows, you know. That's how far back that long ago that was. <laughs> you follow me? But, but yeah, you know, I started out with them, and uh, I stayed with them as long as I could because until the point to where, you know, you wanted me to start doing all that crazy stuff, man, and that just wasn't what I was going to do. You know, I just wasn't down with all that bleeding and getting cut up and maimed. I wasn't down with that. The extreme nature of ECW absolutely was, you know, at times uh, a bit over the top, but uh, they are remembered quite well. But you said, you know, you weren't really remembered. Kind of weird. You know, you were part of the original ECW, but not really remembered as that. That's, that is interesting because if you actually look, you know, the like Terry Funks that started at that time, everyone always remembers those guys. But Mr. Hughes is oddly forgotten. I guess more of a, I wouldn't say uh, obvious omission, but I wouldn't say it was on purpose either. Do you think that uh, it's a Heyman thing, kind of, you know, not really playing up in ECW, or is that just something the fans have forgotten over time? I'm sorry, I didn't, I, I didn't hear that question all the way. Do you think that's like a Paul Heyman thing where he kind of forgot about Mr. Hughes, or is that just the fans forgot that Mr. Hughes was a big part of the original ECW? Well, you know, uh, uh, whoever's whoever printed the picture. You know, whoever printed the picture, you know, because, you know, when I see when I see stuff on social media, you know what I mean? You know, and you see, say, for instance, you see, a, they say the original crew of ECW, you you know, you're looking at it, you know, that's not true. You understand? You know, mm-hmm. it's, of course, some young, some people don't know because someone wasn't even freaking born yet or someone wasn't even, they were little. So they, some, some people don't know. You understand? But as a wrestler, Working for that company, right? I, you know, when I'm looking at this, I'm going like, no, that's not true. You know, there's there's a few people missing on this on this poster here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, because you know, because I got old tapes, man, old tapes from when when ECW started when they first started coming on TV down there in Philly and New Jersey. You know, I guess fans record that stuff, you know, and they'll send you a tape of all the the shows that were ever on from ECW. And uh, I got them, you know. People show, send them to me. And a lot of those cats that's on that poster, they didn't, they didn't come in the picture until later on. They didn't start from ground up like I did, you know. So all I'm saying is, you know, if they're going to say ECW, they need to throw Mr. Hughes in there too. Yeah. So true, so true. As I start to wind it down a bit here, you know, we're talking about your career. You were in the AWA, WCW, WWF, ECW. Um, we talked about Puerto Rico a little bit. We talked about Japan for a second there. Do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple of favorite matches you've had in your storied career? Uh, yes, I did, man. I'll tell you, I had a couple of them, matter of fact. You know, uh, one person that I really, really, truly enjoyed, well, it's two. 
that I really truly enjoyed working was Kurt Henning and Brad Armstrong, man. I really enjoyed working those two guys, man. They were the best, let me tell you, at what they did. I mean, they were true professionals, man. And, you know, I mean, they left too early, but boy, let me tell you, when they went in that ring, if you was booked with them, you was going to have some fun. And they wasn't selfish. Like most, a lot of guys are selfish in that ring. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of guys are selfish when it comes to wrestling now. And some of them want the glory. You follow me? Well, see, mm-hmm. these guys are just strictly businessmen. They want it. They're in there to get the match over together as a team. You follow me? And and that's why I say, you know, I like those those two guys. I really enjoyed man wrestling. Those. Brad Armstrong, my goodness, what a class guy he was. And Lord rest both their souls. They were great people to work with. Those two are my favorites. You know what's interesting? You're not the first person to say Brad Armstrong. Actually, you might be the the fourth or fifth person that said Brad Armstrong. Um, you know that, that we've asked that question to you. Is he just kind of a guy that goes under the radar, almost forgotten how great he was? Oh, I believe so. I really do. I mean, I don't know why that he got treated that way, man. But you know, that's just. I guess that's the ball. You know, that's the way the ball bounces. I reckon. But uh, you know. Armstrong family, man, they were respected, you know. I mean, um, uh, you know, we all, we're all good buddies, all the way up from the daddy on down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Bully Bob. Yeah, and it's funny. It really is. Uh, it's got to be at least four or five guys. That might even be a, a lower number, but Brad Armstrong definitely uh, doesn't get the just due by, uh, I think, a lot of wrestling fans today because, you know, he, he wrestled a lot. Before, a lot of people were actually watching that uh, are involved today but you know as we as we get to the end of the interview here and we like to look back you know and we've touched on everything that we have but when you close the book on professional wrestling obviously you're training guys uh, you've moved on from one school on to uh, doing something else now which we'll find out in a, in a minute but what would you say your legacy is on professional wrestling at the end of the day and what did Mr. Hughes bring to the business the sport whatever you want to call it a professional wrestling well I can tell you this. Uh, I, I believe that I, I brought to this sport something a little unique about a character, you know. Now, I've been doing this stuff going on 30 years. And what I say unique, uh, character-wise, you know, and that's exactly how I explain to my students about a character that you're trying to portray you have to find something that's a little different from everybody else so you can stand out. And so that's what I had to do when I came, when I, when Dusty gave me this big bodyguard gimmick. I had to figure out a way to make it work. I, could, I just didn't want to just be another bodyguard gimmick. I had to make it work. And so the thing I had to do was figure out a way to keep them shades on. And once I did that, figured out how to keep those shades on, that's when that gimmick took off because everywhere I go, whenever I work, whenever I do a show, I always wear the shades because that's the gimmick. And so what I'm trying to leave behind when I get all done and all finished up with wrestling is what I brung to the sport because I entertain a lot of people and I still do and what I've planted in the sport because I've trained thousands and thousands of young men and women around the world that are out there making a living at this stuff, okay? 
I'm trying to teach them the old school way so we don't lose track of what got us here. See, you cannot lose that. I don't care what you try to do to change stuff, to draw more people in there. You still have to show the old school style of professional wrestling. And that is what I do, and that's what I'm going to continually do as long as I'm on this planet is teach people the right way you should wrestle. Now, people say, hey, they'll debate with you on that, on that right way. Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? To train someone in, uh, in professional wrestling. What I do, I train what gets you a job. That's how I train. I train so people can be entertained. That's the way I train people. I'm not just out there training you and taking your money from you. I'm training for results. You hear me? And bottom line is, when I get it, when it's all said and done, when people talk about Mr. Hughes, they can say he was a good wrestler, he was a good entertainer, he was a good teacher of this sport, and he loved the game of professional wrestling. Period. And that is that is that is a way to cap it right there. And Mr. Hughes, I'd like to think that you had the sunglasses on the whole time. I'd like to think that as I'm saying this, you're giving me the classic Mr. Hughes look right into the phone. But please share with. The- <laughs> fans and the listeners of the two-man powership of wrestling just where they can find you just where they can find out where you're training and just so they can possibly reach out and touch and share some more memories of uh teaming with the giant gonzalez and uh looking across there at the macho man and the undertaker all right well first of all as you know we're starting uh at the beginning of this interview here we're talking about my student uh students Apollo Crews and Heath Slater and Big Moose. Now, those guys were my students. I trained all of them, all of them, without no help. And what I have now is I do have a my own wrestling school. I'm not at that other school over there in Atlanta where those other guys started at with me, okay? I got my own school now. It's Mr. Hughes Wrestling Facility over at 640. 138 Southwest, Riverdale, Georgia, and the phone number is 404-640-2827, 5 to 830. We do training from Monday through Thursday. If you're interested in being a professional wrestler and learn how to wrestle, that's the most important thing, and learn how to wrestle. Give me a call, and I'll be glad to show you how to do it, how it's done. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.